Adam Voith from Billions, and I'm on Promoter 101. Welcome to this limited hand-numbered podcast in the Promoter 101 series. This is episode 166 of our limited run of only 200 shows. And once they're gone, they're gone. That's it. We'll be destroying the mold. A limited number of ale. It's true, Dan. There's only 200 of these episodes of Promoter 101, and we are working our way down to the end of them. But in the meantime, we've got some great interviews ahead, including one from our New York sessions of the Promoter 101 podcast. We're going to continue on with Shorefire Media's Rebecca Shapiro here on the podcast, later coming up for a full featured sit-down. Looking forward to it. Plus, Paradigm's Keith Levy is here to turn the tables on us. Very excited about Keith hanging out with us. Totally the guy on the move in the industry right now. Looking forward to that interview, Dan. Episode 166 of Promoter 101 starts right now. Becca Leifer, Operations Manager at Forest Hills. I'm on Promoter 101. As we mentioned at the top of the cast, the end of the podcast is near, but we're counting our way down to the final show and we can do it together. You can join us here for the final interview as we go to Nashville and do it live in Tennessee at the IEBA conference. That's right. We'll be doing our final interview and our final live podcast recording from IEBA as this year's keynote session. That's taking place this coming October 27th to the 29th here in Music City, Tennessee. We'll be at the JW Marriott Hotel for the International Entertainment Buyers Association Conference, otherwise known as IEBA. We're looking forward to wrapping up this podcast, this experience, this journey with so many great friends and a great interview, which we'll be announcing soon. If you haven't registered yet for the conference, get on it. Early bird registration just finished, and this conference will sell out. Badges, passes, all the good stuff about this conference is available at IEBA. Org. If you've got something you want to share with us, just simply email us at steiny at promoter101.net. We'd be happy to respond to you. We're not that bad of guys. We'll respond. We like you. If we like you, we'll say hi, Dan. That's what we do. If you'd rather hit us on social media where you know we can't ignore you, you're more than welcome to follow us on Twitter. Join the conversation. I'm at W. Luke Pierce, Dan's at The Jew. This show is Promoter 101. Check it out. You can also follow us on Instagram. That's Steiny at Promoter 101. Luke is W. Luke Pierce. I am Dan Presents. Connor, don't you have one of the Instagram things now? I sure do. I'm at Connor Phoenix. Yo, love that. If you want to see some interesting art, multimedia style, follow Connor. It'll make you think. <laughs> very, very generous description of Connor. Connor, also a gearhead and a very great engineer and producer in his own right. So if you are an engineer or producer, like listening to this podcast, want to know how it's made, get all the inside tips and tricks from Connor Phoenix. Yo, we're of course on Facebook as well, too. We're Promoter 101. We're on Tumblr, Promoter 101. And Connor, where are we at with all the cool kids? Oh, you know we're on that LinkedIn grind. This is Alex Hardy, one of the partners at Coda, and I'm on Promoter 101. My favorite time of the week, Dan. You know why? We get to wish some people some happy birthdays. Let's talk about it. People celebrating birthdays July 9th to the 15th, 2019. Who we got? Tuesday, 7-9, Brett Cobb's distant cousin, 
Dave Cobb. Happy birthday, big record guy. On Wednesday the 10th, wishing a happy birthday to Amy Bauer, Andrew Prosser, and Kim Kane. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. That's 7-Eleven, just like the convenience store. Kim Beyer from the lovely Tacoma Dome. Nick Fox from that lovely Emporium Presents team. And William Morris Endeavors, David Tamroff. On Friday the 12th, wishing a happy birthday to Ian Adkins, Edie Burke, and Rich Sellers from Emporium Presents. On 713, Dan Merker, Mark Angle, and David Strunk from the land of UTA. Good guys. 714, Dan. That's Sunday. Wishing a happy birthday to Alan McGowan, Ty Sutton, and Ian Cheshire. And Monday, 715, Abe Nielsen, Jim Cressman, Alan Corbett, Katie Fox, Thomas Hunt. That is a awesome crew. Wonderful wishes to everyone celebrating birthdays this week from your friends here at Promoter 101. Hey, this is Bobby Reynolds with AEG Presents in Las Vegas. I'm here with Dan on Promoter 101. Promoter 101 Flashbacks. Episode 31. Rob Hallett. I started in the late 70s as a fan, well, like we all used to, and the business has changed dramatically, but uh, when I started, we were all fans, we weren't college graduates or anything, we just loved our music. And I started promoting at 17 in pubs in Brighton at a time when you had to be 18 to even go in and have a drink. Respect that. (laughs) So I was promoting a lot of local bands, and then the punk scene started, and I read an article in Melody Maker that Malcolm McLaren, who managed the Sex Pistols, couldn't find an agent because the traditional agents didn't take them seriously and so I called him up told him I was an agent somehow persuaded him that was true and became the Bissell's agent for two weeks for two weeks for two weeks yeah how did that end uh, not well <laughs> um, yeah as you can imagine 17 year old kid trying to book out a hot band not knowing what the hell you're doing so I called up the first place and I said you know hey I've got um, actually I lied there was uh, a band at number one at the time in the English charts called Sutherland Brothers and Quiver that had a hit called Lying the Arms of Mary so my spiel was I'd phone up the club who wouldn't be offered an to that level in the first place so they wouldn't know and said hey you know my name is Rob Hallett from Domino Promotions was the name I made up and just said that we were Asian the Sutherland Brothers and Quiver but unfortunately as they were number one they were rather busy but I had this new group that you should check out called the Sex Pistols figuring lightning strikes twice yeah kind of and you know a few people you know didn't know who they were poo poo didn't answer the phone whatever and then I got a bite you know, oh yeah, I've heard about them. They're causing a bit of a buzz in London, aren't they? Yeah, yeah da, da, da. how much do you want? Ah, I forgot to ask that question. That's, uh... So I said, um, what do you think? And the guy said, 50 quid. Oh, 50 pound, gosh. At the time, I was on a 30 pound a month social security, having just left college. So, you know, I'm, gosh, I'm on 30 quid a week. It's a month, and he's offering 50 quid for a night. Come on, that's good. So let's do it. So I went around, and I used that as my template, and I booked about 15 shows. And I called up Malcolm and said, I've got good news. I've got 15 shows for you. He goes, great, fantastic. How much? And I said, 50 quid a night. He said, you've done what? You know, I can't do it for 50 quid a night. I need at least 150. Uh, uh, anyway, I phoned round, saved a couple, didn't save many and got fired. And then they found a proper agent in John Jackson so, <laughs> who um, took it forward. Yeah, so that was my intro into the business. Brian Jonas from High Road Touring, and I am on Promoter 101. 
kicking off episode 166, we're welcoming Paradigm's Keith Levy here to turn the tables on Steiny. Hanging out with Keith Levy, and as always, after grilling for 45 minutes, I'll give you a chance to turn the tables, my friend. So anything in the world, what do you want to ask me? Who's your favorite interview on Promoter 101? Well, I mean, besides you, obviously. Besides me, yeah. Besides you. Well, I had the luck of getting to interview Jim Glancy right after the sale to AEG. And he was so forthcoming and he's so honest and he just kind of walked us through the whole thing. And his understanding, I mean, the guy is the mayor of New York. He just Love don't get guy. any cooler. What than a him. legend. I mean, he's so cool. He just goes by glancy. Nobody calls him Jim. Yeah. You know, it was just fun. He walked through the entire process of the sale and it was just so cool because it was just seemed like a very complicated thing. So many partners, so many pieces, so many pieces of property and they were different partners in each property and figuring it all out just took a really long, complicated time. They were able to do it like AEG totally worked with them. They made it happen. But it just seemed like, wow, this takes some advanced degrees. But those guys were running a business the way true entrepreneurs do. It was just get it going, get it making money, get it open, just go. They had these little businesses all over town and some of them weren't very little anymore. Some of them were very big and they had grown this monster independent concert firm. You just don't get much cooler than that. Was this pre-Emporium Live Nation sale? Yeah. So that probably shed some light on the process for you. Well, it's kind of funny because when me and Zinc were originally forming our partnership officially, we had taken some meetings with some friends, like some mentors, and we went and saw Jomo and Glancy and they had kind of rolled out a little bit of how their partnership worked. And they just kind of hung out with us for a little while and talked, came to the office and got some beer from the keg and, you know, got their version of the world and how they saw battling the AEG and Live Nation at that moment. And it was really cool because it was like, did we want to be like Rick and Paul at Golden Voice or did we want to be like Glancy Jomo? And we kind of found our hybrid of our own like vibe, but we certainly stole a little bit from all of those guys because yeah. they definitely had great things going on and something to learn from all of them for sure. And then sure. you went to his competitor. Well, he started at Live Nation. Good point. Good point. Us, them, I don't think the sale was ever really a question. Right. We love our partners at Live Nation. I'm sure Glancy's very happy at AEG, but at some point, maybe uh, both companies will cut a deal and we'll all be on the same team. It seems like every couple of years, it all gets shaken up again. Plenty of shakeups, it seems, every year for sure. Kind of like the airlines, you know? The conglomeration's kind of amazing as of late. And I'm kind of wondering, like, who's next, right? Because you mentioned, like, Rick and Paul or Jim and Jomo, and it's like, who are these next people that aren't? in the Live Nation system aren't in the AEG Bowery system, you know, the next Steiny and Zinc, if you will. Do you know who they are yet? Or are they on college campuses somewhere? I mean, I think I can identify who some of the next people probably are. I know most of the players and I watch the game pretty good and I promote nationally. So I've got a pretty good understanding of who's doing what around the country. But, you know, I think there were a lot of people that were surprised that me and Jason sold because a lot of people saw us as indies forever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a lot of people just, hey, there's resources there. That's the next step. But you never wake up and say, I'm never going to, like, accept an offer no matter how good it is. You like, never say never. You do what's right for your family and, you know, right for the team. But I get to go to work every day with some of my best friends in the world. I get to do shows with Sean Striegel. I love Sean. It's like, I looked around when I was at the Live Nation Global Conference and it was like surrounded by some of the best people in the world. It's like, there's John Hampton. I get to work with him every day. There's Rich Best. How cool is that? Jody Goodman is right 
fucking there. Jeff Wills, right there. I get to work with these people every day. How fucking cool is that? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. We didn't sell our souls. We opened ourselves up to like getting to work with some of our favorite people on the planet. Plenty to learn from all of them every day. It's genius. Absolutely. I'm glad it's working out for you guys. Well, we're faking it at a very high level. Same here. But hey, we're doing more and more shows together, which is always good. I like that. Yeah. Keith is having quite the moment right now. He is firing on all cylinders, and he'll be right back here on Promoter 101 in just a couple episodes with a full interview. Promoter 101 Podcast. With Steiny and the Pierce. Dan, it's Monday, so it's time we unveil the Promoter 101 badass of the week. Who we got, Dan? This week it goes out to the one, the only, Lee Anderson of Paradigm. Such a great agent, father and friend, making him this week's Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. Dan, I completely back this week's selection. Lee Anderson, one of the finest agents in the game, one of the best dudes you'll find out there. Well-deserved and congrats, Lee. Love me some Lee Anderson. Herman Sherman, Live Nation Belgium, Promoter 101. Joining us next for our featured interview this week, we welcome from Surefire Media, Rebecca Shapiro, as we continue the New York sessions from Promoter 101. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a Monday morning, so it's always a lot to worry about at the beginning of the week. You have one of the cooler jobs in the industry. You are a publicist, and you get to work with some of the finest brands and some of the best artists in the world. Thank you. I do think I have a very cool job, and I appreciate you interviewing me because most of the time, publicists are very much behind the scenes. They don't get covered a lot. They're the one sector of the music business that typically does not have the spotlight on them. So this is an honor for me to be here. You've worked with some amazing artists and some amazing things. Clearly, you got to do the coolest thing in the world when you got to be behind Fear Thee Well and and roll that out. So that had to be one of the coolest things ever. It was definitely one of my all-time career highlights. Fare thee well. That's a massive brand. 50 years in the making. The pressure of not fucking that up has got to be the first thing on your mind is like, okay, this is the coolest thing to do, but I have to do this right. Correct. So coming up with the PR plan for Fare Thee Well was definitely time consuming and obviously needed to be very strategic. What we decided to do was to focus on a handful of interviews for the promoter, Peter Shapiro. And then we decided we weren't going to have the band members do any interviews. So that right there took off a lot of pressure. We did things for Peter like Entrepreneur Magazine and Fast Company and Rolling Stone. And we really wanted the music to speak for itself. We also set up for Peter on site the day of in Chicago, a handful of broadcast interviews with TV outlets. And we came up with a credentialing process for the journalist. And any interviews that you might have heard with the individual band members, we were not scheduled through Shorefire. They must have gone through the band members management or individual publicist. You guys had the coolest rollout I think you guys possibly could have ever had. Trixie coming out and announcing the show, thereby the Garcia family embraces this. What a genius fucking move. Yes, genius move. And Peter Shapiro, who is the brilliant madman behind Fare Thee Well, came up with that. Okay, well, let's acknowledge that right off the bat. You guys have the same last name and you clearly have some respect for him. I do. Peter is my husband. We've been married for 17 years and we've been together for over 20 years. How'd you guys come to find each other? Very good question. Way back, long, long time ago, when we were both in our early 20s, we're both starting off in the music business. And I was talking to one of my friends from high school. I grew up in Chicago and she had gone to college with Peter. They both went to Northwestern together. And she said to me, you know, Rebecca, 
there's someone I want to set you up with. And I said, really? Why? She said, well, you guys are both Jewish. You're both in the music business and you both talk fast. (laughs) I think you should meet each other. She said, but I want to give you one tip about him before you meet him. And I said, mm-hmm. And she said, you're going to think sometimes that he's not listening to you when you're talking. Now, he is listening to you, but at the same time, he's also thinking about the next thing he has to do. So just know that, that he's engaged, but he's also sort of focused on the future as well. And I thought that was a very good tip. And so Peter and I started off as just sort of friends. We overlapped a lot in our communities and we were both, you know, young and hungry in the music business. And at the time, I was working for an entertainment PR agency called Rogers and Cowan. One of the biggest firms in the world. Yes, I got my start there. And I work for a woman named Fran Curtis, who was the executive vice president of entertainment in the New York office. I actually went to work with her as she was starting the Rolling Stones Bridges to Babylon tour. So I was her assistant during that time, which is a whole other story. Baby Benz, indeed. And so Peter was trying to help me as a friend bring in business to Rogers and Cowan. And there had been a shooting at the Empire State Building back in the late 90s. And a couple of the people that were injured were musicians in a band, I think it was called the Bush Pilots. And one of the guys had suffered a brain injury and was coming back. And he was going to make his return concert at Peter's venue at the time, a rock club in Tribeca called Wetlands. Legendary club. Legendary indeed. And Peter took that over in 1997. So this must have been 98. So Peter said, listen, here's the story. Why don't you try to work on this? And it'll be you know, the first client you signed at Rogers and Cowan. So it didn't actually end up working out, but it was really started the path of our friendship, me and Peter. So it was December 1997, and we had just been friends, and Peter called me. I think it was on a landline. I'm not even sure. I had a cell phone (laughs) then. And Peter said, I have tickets to go see Fish at Madison Square Garden on December 29th. Do you want to come is my plus one. And so I said, let me think about it. I know that sounds crazy. Who wouldn't want to go see fish? But I was playing hard to get at the time. (laughs) So I said, I'll call you back next week. I'm going to go to Chicago, see my family for the holidays. And let me call you back and tell you if I can come. And so I never called him back. He finally called me. He said, what's the deal? You promised me you were going to call me and let me know if you can come. Can you come with me? So I said, sure. And so that was our first date over at Madison Square Garden. Heard Peter's whole story. That was when I heard about the films that he made in college and his passion for live music. And sort of that's where it all began for the two of us. So you call him Peter. And obviously everybody in the industry calls him Shappy. Do you call him Peter at home and is outside in the family world as a Peter? That is a good point. Most people do call him Pete. I prefer Peter. I always have. Sometimes as a joke, I do call him Shappy or I might even say Shapiro, my hero. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. But mostly it's Peter to me. So different genres are something that you have done an epic amount of work in. It's not just Fish and the Who and big, huge arena type of acts like the dead. You have spread it around to a bunch of stuff. So Disney Junior Dance Party doesn't really mix with the Grateful (laughs) Dead. And yet somehow... They're there on top of Zach Brown. Like there's a whole lot of diversity here. Like you're all over the place. Yes, I think that's a testament to Shorefire as a music PR agency. We're trained so that we can work a handful of different artists at all different points in their career across all different genres. Although some of us have more expertise in some areas because I've been doing this for so long. I think I've done and seen almost all. 
Are the same people that are writing about Maxwell and Morrissey writing about Marty Stewart? Funny question. It's definitely a very eclectic mix of journalists that we're dealing with. So the people that are writing about Maxwell are not typically the people that are covering Marty. We're definitely focused on knowing who those journalists are. Sometimes there might be an overlap. For example, John Perellis of the New York Times probably has covered Maxwell and Marty Stewart, but most of the time the outlets are very different. And now we have podcasts, which is something that's the top of our list for most of our clients. And so we've added those targets to our outreach for our artists. Nationally, there's got to be different places that you want to hit when an album is breaking, just in general, Rolling Stone, Variety, what have you, opposed to locally when you're featuring on the tour and you're trying to work around that date. Is there a plan of, okay, we're spending this much time focused on national and this much time focusing on regional? That's a good question. So at the beginning of our artist campaigns, we all sit down together, the team, which is usually two or three or four publicists, and we make a sort of one page cheat sheet and we put together a list of targets that we're going after and everything is very much targeted to the client. So in some cases, for example, Morrissey, who I'm working with right now, will have a different roadmap for the campaign than a smaller you know, artist that we're working with. Morrissey doesn't need tour press, but he does need to get reviewers to his Broadway run here. So it's very much thought out in advance and very specific to whomever it is. Okay, let's go back to your Chicago roots. Yes. What part of Chicago? So I love talking about Chicago, so thank you for asking me. I grew up on the north side in Lincoln Park, downtown. I'm very much a child of the 80s in Chicago. My high school years were spent late 80s in a legendary club called Medusa's, which if you know anyone cool that grew up in Chicago, they all have stories about Medusa's. So I used to go there on Saturday nights drink blueberry seltzers and dance to The Cure, The Smiths, Depeche Mode, Erasure. And I spent a lot of weekends at a record store called Wax Tracks on Lincoln Avenue, which was sort of the home of the rock, new wave, punk scene. Yeah, the cool stuff. Yeah. The first show I saw was at, I was 13, and it was Gene Loves Jezebel opening up for the Red Hot Chili Peppers at Metro in Chicago. That's a show. A show to remember, yes. Chicago music scene is a historically cool scene. Oh, yes. So you guys aren't just in the music side. You have your comedy side and you do the real estate. You represent Johnny Carson's estate. We were brought on by the seller to help get some publicity around it so that it would get sold because he was ready to move on. So that was kind of a fun project. We got a feature in the Wall Street Journal Friday real estate section. We hosted a party at the house and we had journalists come and we had musicians that we represented perform there. When I was working with them, the property hadn't sold, but I think we came up with a very creative sort of out of the box way to bring attention to it. High profile, at least. Indeed. That's an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. And then the festivals, it seems like it goes hand in hand with some of the other stuff you've done, but like Summerfest, Tortuga, Ozfest, like that's some crazy stuff. Thank you. We love festivals. I think that's one of Storefire's many strengths. We have a handful of festivals every year. And in fact, the one that I didn't mention before is the Super Bowl Music Fest. So we just did their first annual music festival in Atlanta for three nights this past winter. I think if we've survived that, we can probably do anything. That's a big scale. You got all of those eyes on you with the NFL. Nothing can go wrong. No, you can't. And you're dealing with, you know, the corporate world, the journalist world, all the reps for all the artists and lots of moving parts. But it was fabulous. Trial by fire. Exactly. The first festival I worked was in the late 90s. It was called A Day in the Garden. It was at the Woodstock site. And that was when it all started. And I love working them ever since. 
the back and the forth is incredible of all the different things you've gotten to scope on. However, you guys have done some nonprofit work, which I just think is amazing because you have to come in at that from a whole different point of view. Definitely. The nonprofit world is a whole different ballgame. And it's definitely a little slower pace than the music projects. And it's the thinking is a little bit different. But we work very closely with the Louis Armstrong House Museum. They just took their collection and made it digital. So we came up with a campaign around that story, which included a multi-page print feature in the New York Times. We work with a great organization called Music and Memory, which puts iPods or music basically into nursing homes with people for people with dementia. And basically, the results are tremendous. Because they engage their minds? Yes. And you see, they dance, they talk. There's story after story. And that has been a really transformative campaign for our work with them. We've done NPR stories with them. We've done a CBS Evening News piece. I mean, there's so much interest. It's such an inspirational, feel-good story and sort of an evergreen one. So there's always press to be had around it. Let me ask you about some fundamentals. What do you think in your head makes a good publicist? Well, I love the question of what makes a good publicist. Okay, a handful of things. So you have to be able to write. You have to be able to communicate well in writing and also verbally. You have to have grit. You have to have instinct. It's an art, not a science, but you have to be able to read the room and read the vibes and sometimes go with your gut. And on top of that, you have to have, to be a music publicist, you have to have a passion for music, opinions about music. Someone that's a great music publicist is someone that throws themselves into the business and hustles. Someone that goes to lots of shows, networks, makes friends. Those are the people who are going to get far because you really have to live and breathe this world 24-7. One of my biggest pet peeves when I'm promoting a show is when somebody tells me they're a publicist and they call and they ask for a list of contacts for press. And I find that to be an interesting thing, because if you're a publicist, you should subscribe to a service and be able to know who these people are normally versus a phone call saying, hey, maybe there are a couple of people that you think I should hit. Right. Or just you have a one sheet so I don't have to do any work. Right. I always find that to be very interesting. And I notice there's this different scale between real publicists and people that do that. Well, I will say in our defense that we at Shorefire have a very strong database and we know who the top people are in all of these markets. But we will collaborate with the local publicist at the venue and say, can you send us your media list? Because oftentimes they know about that little NPR show that we didn't know about. So they're getting to the nicks and crannies that maybe you're missing on a national yes. scope. That's an insight that I didn't see. Yes, I just want to point that out. Sometimes there's a local music blog that will shoot the show that we just don't know about. I mean, we try to keep up and I think we do a really good job. We have probably 20 databases and of all different Types of writers, our music database has 8,000 people, and we're constantly updating it. But once in a while, there might be a show or a podcast or a session in, let's say, Seattle that we just don't know about, and we'll find out when we look at the promoter list. It makes sense. I mean, God forbid you miss KXP or something, and the promoter's well, like, Well, we do know important. KXP. Right. So that makes sense. Always kind of interested to see who comes up on the list and like where that line is between a hobbyist that's shooting the show right, versus someone that's like the orderer for a record store that's maybe ordering for five major record stores or something and who like really makes the list and who this, the publicist, the management think <laughs> really deserve that handful of tickets that are going out through the band. Right. When we're talking about local tour press for artists, we like to support the local media and we want people to come that can cover it. So if there is a photographer that wants to come and he says, I'm going to be covering it for this publication and in two days from now, you'll have a gorgeous photo gallery. That's great. 
We want people that can come and that can write about it, even if it's sending out a tweet or putting a Facebook post up. I mean, it doesn't just have to be a media outlet anymore. It's something they can share in their socials or put on their personal blog. That's all great content that we can then use to pitch other writers in other markets. Little breadcrumbs left all over the place so people can find their way back to the van. Yeah, sometimes it can take, if you have a goal to get an artist on a TV show, sometimes you need to have a steady stream of the breadcrumbs to get in front of the right people. Sometimes it happens right away, but if you're going for an artist that is an unlikely candidate for, let's say, the Today Show, you need to get the pieces in place so that you can take everything to the bookers and say, look what I have. Look at their socials. Here's what press have said about them. Here's the festivals they're performing at. These are the number of tickets they've sold every year. So you need to have all of the elements in place to be able to make that pitch. So you're presenting a pretty good argument. Correct. Your fans will like us. And here's why. So when you're talking to a manager or an agent and they're looking for what a publicist can actually do because they have yet to make the investment, Mm -hmm. what are the things that realistically you can help the artist do? Great question. In 2019, there are so many services that we as publicists can provide to potential clients. And obviously there's the, of course, the usual sort of standard publicity campaign, which includes outreach to syndicated radio and NPR and podcasts and TV bookers if we determine that the band is ready for TV. We pitch sessions and editorial playlists for song picks and all of that. But we also do other things. We'll advise on the assets for the campaign. We might even help. Sometimes we, we're brought on now to sort of strategize even in advance of an album launch. So there are a couple of projects I have where the artist is nowhere near ready to be presented. So we're working with her to come up with sort of her mood board and her photos and talking points and her narrative and her bio. So you guys can quietly tease it through that whole chain kind of thing? Yes, but we're now starting with the artist much earlier than before, doing more consulting. Got it. Another thing we do is we book events. We're doing a lot of sort of more specialty sort of tastemaker events. There's a bunch of series that we work with from So Far Sounds to Annie O'Hayan standard hotel room series. We have relationships with these bookers, even to school night, you know, in LA. We'll pitch them for our artist. We are also going now to more brands. So we're developing relationships with like the in-house marketing people, whether it's like instrument companies or makeup lines. And we're talking about possible collaborations for artists with them. So what are the things that sometimes managers come to you, goals that they may have that you can't provide, that there's a limit that publicists can only do so much? The goal is usually TV. It is all about late night TV. And I like to be very realistic from the beginning. If I don't think we're going to get it, I'll let them know or I'll say, well, you know, I can promise you we'll update the bookers with all of your activity, but I think it's very unrealistic that you're going to get a booking right now. Because that's a lot of eyeballs and everybody's fighting for that. It is the end. It is the holy grail is late night TV for most bands. And it's harder and harder because we have Conan's not doing it. Carson's off the air. You're talking about five or six late night shows. And these bookers are getting pitched by, I would say, hundreds and hundreds of publicists every single day. It's just it's competitive. It's a war zone out there when it comes to these pitches. I remember reading an article maybe 10 years back about the Conan bump. Mm -hmm. What happened to album sales immediately being on that show and what that could do for them. Yeah, so there's still media outlets where their album sales do bump afterwards tend to be morning TV, late night TV, even CBS Saturday is a good one. There's major spikes in sales after artists do the show. 
obviously Ellen, and then NPR. NPR and then CBS Sunday Morning is another one that we've been told moves album sales. That's a lot of national outlets. When you're thinking about local, are there a couple of handfuls around the country that in particular you're, you're going for? Yeah. I mean, the sessions, again, are if you can't get late night TV for the artist, then it's all about the sessions. And so I think we have a very strong grasp on the top sessions and what market. So if we have a band going to Chicago, you know, we'll pitch Audio Tree. We know who you pitch in L.A. There's a handful of places in L.A. There's a handful of places in New York. And then across the country, what we're seeing is that more and more individuals are starting their own music discovery platforms for emerging artists. So you'll have someone in Cleveland who's doing sessions out of their garage and has developing a following. We really keep track of who those people are for artists. Do you have a goal for the future for where you're taking your company? We want to remain strong in the music world, working with both up-and-coming artists that we predict will have billboard debuts, chart debuts, or Grammy nominations. I mean, there's nothing we can't do, so I'd love to work more tours, more festivals. I also like working on the sort of the lifestyle side of things. So whether that's working with Paul Reiser or, as I mentioned, Comedy Dynamics, a comedy production company, more nonprofits, I like to do it all music, and then some. Any advice for some of the young people coming up in the business for career longevity? For career longevity? Well, I'd say I do have lots of advice, and I love nothing more than telling people who've just graduated from college how I think they should pursue their dreams. But I do tell people that figure out what you want to do. So if you want to be a manager, agent, publicist, fine. And then figure out where you want to work. I have so many people that come to me and don't really have a clear sense of what they want to do. And I can't help them if they first can't help themselves. So I say, do you want to be a publicist? Who do you want to work for? Think about your favorite artist and figure out who the PR firms are for those artists and then reach out to them. Sure, you can send a blind email to generic email address, but figure out who the president of the company is. Send them an email and tell them you're going to be in the neighborhood and that you want to stop by for five minutes and pick their brain. People don't usually do that. And when I get an email once in a blue moon from someone that says, can I talk to you? I say, of course, I'm so proud of them. I, I want to support them. But people need to be very clear of what they want and slightly aggressive if they're going to get there. I like that slightly aggressive and reaching out. That's a good thing, especially if you're a college student. People want to help college students. I always want to help people, but I can't help them if they don't come to me first. I can't read people's minds. They need to say, this is what I want. I want to thank you so much for taking time and talk to me. It's an honor to actually have a publicist that speaks. This is so fun. Thank you for having me. So much fun to get to shine a spotlight on Rebecca here on Promoter 101. The publicists, they never get to talk. This was so great. So great. Hi, I'm Holly Gleason, editor of Woman Walk the Line here at Promoter 101, where they know how to get it done. The quote of the week comes to us from John Lennon. When I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. I wrote down happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment. I told them they didn't understand life. Uh, you know what John Lennon said as well? He said, I'm an artist, man. You give me a tuba and I'll get you something out of it. Oh, God. What movie are you doing? Is that Rounders? No. No, uh, it's the, not. The, it's, the fuck, no, it's Matt Damon, though. Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. It's not. Jack Nicholson. It's Goodwill Hunting. Nope. Give me a tuba. He said tuba. He's like, I just see Black Keys. Yeah. No, it's Matt Damon. It's Goodwill Hunting. No, it's definitely fucking Jack Nicholson. Are both quotes in two Matt Damon movies? Uh, Matt Damon. Because when he's talking to her about like her playing the piano or how he does the math, he explains it. Goodwill hunting John Lennon. Definitely there. 
Hey, it's Joshua Knight from the Paradigm Agency coming to you live from Promoter 101. Hey, that concludes our broadcast day. Episode 166 of Promoter 101 in the bag. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank you to our amazing guests this week from Shorefire Media, Rebecca Shapiro, Paradigm's Keith Levy. Thanks for coming on the podcast, giving us some of your time, your wisdom, insight, stories, all about it. Looking forward to Keith's interview coming up later this week too, Dan. If you like what you heard, email us. Hit us at steiny at promoter101.net. If you miss us and you just want to catch up. If you miss us, you can always be Big Spoon. Ooh. Hey, we'll return this Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Over in London, it's midnight. I just did the math for you. You're welcome. That's right. We're going to, as I mentioned, have Paradigm's Keith Levy back for a full sit-down featured interview. Well-deserved. That guy is a man about town. You should definitely check it out. Looking forward to that on Thursday. It's hard not to like Keith Levy. You'd really have to try to not like Keith Levy. He's such a good dude. And if you don't like Keith Levy, I don't think I want to hang out with you. Jeez. I bat Keith Levy. He's a good guy. We get it. You like Keith Levy. You can listen to him later on the podcast, Dan. <laughs> I do. And until then, we're wishing you sold out shows to the weeks to come. Cheers. Call your mother. Call her. Hi, it's Chris Porter from Porter Productions, including Hardly Strictly Bluegrass and a myriad of other events. And you're listening to Promoter 101.